Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things movie and nostalgia podcasts, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Three, two, one. Welcome to Wistful Thinking, the podcast where we invite a guest to revisit pop culture from their childhood. I'm Jordan Poland-Clark, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Kara Gail O'Regan. Hello. And with us today is nobody. We did not (laughs) invite a guest to the show today because there is a children's television show that Kara and I have been wanting to talk about for a long time. And honestly, we just got tired of waiting for somebody to choose it because both of us have watched the entire series and we just want to talk about it. Also, because there's just so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. Guys, we're going to talk about Pete and Pete today. Pete and Pete is a show about two brothers, both named Pete, who live with their mom and dad in the fictitious suburb of Wellsville. And here is when I want to say what kind of adventures that they go on in the show. But it's actually a show that's pretty hard to describe. And if I tried to describe it to you, it wouldn't really sound better or different than other shows that are like it um but we think that this show is kind of different and special pete and pete was a live action show on nickelodeon um it was the first ever live action show on nickelodeon it preceded shows that most people remember like hey dude and welcome freshman um and shows like that It started as a series of like one minute shorts in 1989 that apparently just like were kind of good and the network kind of took a chance and asked the guys who made the shorts to make some specials that they ran between 1991 and 1993. Um, And I guess those were good too because then it had three real seasons from 1993 to 1996. And Man, is this show good? Kara, what do you have to say starting out about this show? Well, starting out, the actual title of the show was The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. I'm just right. A, You're right. I'm a stickler for details, you know. I know. That's actually not true. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what I was going to say next, but I am so super excited to talk about this show because it's something that I've rewatched on multiple occasions and throughout my life it's like still just as good as it was like the first time around yeah i agree this show is legitimately funny um we picked three episodes to watch for today Uh, i laughed out loud like dozens of times while i was watching them and i'm not sure like i can't tell if that's because i have such fond memories of it like as a kid or i mean obviously i actually think the writing is good the there's a ton of cameos that we'll talk about that are super fun um i did show this to somebody who's 
about six years younger than me who had never seen it before and he was like uh i don't get it but whatever (laughs) um but it's also like super weird and that's the thing that i love about it the most and like it just is exactly my kind of humor and like weirdness i agree it's like really surreal um the characters are like really specific um like it really feels like I feel like it has a lot of lore. Like, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, like, there's that one kid, and this is what everyone says about him, and it's, like, something super weird. (laughs) Um, And, like, that's what every character on this show is like. So there are parts about it, like, while it's really surreal and weird, I think there are parts about it, and we'll get into this more as we talk about the episodes that we watched, but there are parts about it that feel, like, just so real to being a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really that, like, spirit of childhood and adolescence that the show crystallizes so perfectly that, like, even if what's going on in the episode is really bizarre and not realistic or, you know, however you want to describe it, the kernels of childhood are there and just so uniquely and specifically emotionally, like, real that wasn't articulate I don't No, but... I think that was really articulate to call okay. them kernels of childhood I think that's I really agree with you thanks um so the I feel like the way that we're coming at this is just like with love and we watched a bunch of episodes and didn't do like a ton of research and honestly like it's all been done like if you want to read about this show just go read about the read it on the AV club they like did have done a ton of writing about this um, you know, after the fact in the last few years, and it's really, really great. So I, I recommend it if you like this show, go go read about it on the V Club. Uh, they did a better job with the history and all that than we're gonna do here today. So that said, we had a really hard time choosing what episodes to even watch because they were just like we would start to narrow it down, and then we would be like, oh yeah, but that one, oh yeah, but that one. Like it was just too exciting. We had a hard time. Yeah. Um, So instead of narrowing it down to three episodes like we do on this show, we narrowed it down to three episodes for today, and we (laughs) are probably going to do this again. (laughs) Um, We chose three episodes um, that are all Little Pete episodes. So we're going to be looking at um, the world through the eyes of Little Pete. Um, Kara, how would you describe Little Pete? Oh, man. Oh, man. Um... I mean, Little Pete is the id. Like, he is just, like, a, the human embodiment of the id, which is, like, the inner child. So he's the outer child. Um, but at the same time has this, like, really rebellious and um, anti-authoritarian streak in him that also makes him, like, a little adult. Because And there's, like, other weird characteristics about him that make him a little adult like he has a tattoo on his arm (laughs) of a dancing lady named petunia um he always wears like a weird red plaid hat which i guess isn't necessarily an adult sort of thing but it reads kind of as like one of the aspects of his tiny adult character i guess uh little pete played by danny tamborelli who 
And I, I also am curious about people who didn't grow up in New Jersey and how they feel about the show because there's so much. In, it was shot in New Jersey with people who live in New Jersey and, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm just curious how how much of what I love about this show is just what I love about New Jersey. But Danny Tamborelli is kind of a northern New Jersey legend like everyone that I know has a weird Danny Tamborelli story where like they ran into him somewhere or when he was working at Goldberg's Bagels and White Cough he made them a sandwich once or like uh, I helped his mom at the Genius Bar on multiple occasions and swapped out <laughs> his iPhone once um, so it's just like there's this weird Everyone is like one degree away from Danny Tamborelli in northern New Jersey, and I just find that hilarious. I also find a lot of joy in watching this because I'm from New Jersey, because they shot a lot of it in South Orange, and I'm from West Orange, so it all just looks so familiar, mm -hmm. and one of my favorite things to do is to, um, in the end credits, they often will list like what streets they shot it on. Oh, really? And and what towns they shot it in. I so guess I'm like going to have to rewatch all of this all over again just you, for that you part. You do. But, yeah, because it's really fun to be like, oh, they were on this street, and then, like, to go look it up. Like, I've never recognized any of it, like, straight up without looking. Mm -hmm. But, I'll, you know, I'll look it up and be like, oh, cool, I get it. That's where they were. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. The New Jersey thing probably helps us like this even more. Um, I, I really like how you describe. Uh, little Pete as a little adult um, like I yeah I think he he's also in in some ways treated that way by his parents and by other people not that he's necessarily treated like a little adult but he's treated um, as with a tremendous amount of respect by the everybody around him whether it's because they're scared of him or because they're related to him or because they're his friend and they just like truly respect him or some combination um, of all of the above right which is <laughs> what it probably really is um but he yeah he's always treated with a lot of respect and so i think that allows his character to really really shine through in a way that is just so strong for a kid mm -hmm. um and he is so smart like, he's so smart and he's so strong-willed. Like, he's one of those kids that, like, you're like, I don't want him in my class. I never want to <laughs> deal with him. But but you have this respect for him because he just is who he is and you can't fight with him about it. Yeah. Um, and he has this, like, tremendous need for freedom, um, which really is what defines all of the episodes that we watched today, mm. where, like, he just wants to do what he wants to do. He doesn't want adults to tell him what to do. Um, he really needs to find everything, like, in his own way. And everyone around him just has to deal with that. Um, and one of the things I wrote in my notes while I was watching rewatching the episodes today was that, like, I think that that's going to make him, like, the coolest adult. Mm. Um, I was just thinking about, like, what he might be like. He might be a nightmare. Really, you think? Like, in what way? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in general, he's kind of a nightmare. But I don't know how much of that is, like, him. Well, because for as little freedom as you have as a child, and he's really bucking against that constantly, like, 
in a lot of ways as an adult you have even less freedom like sure you can sit on your couch without pants on and smoke weed and like eat chocolate ice cream for dinner if that's what you want to do because you're an adult um i wouldn't know anything about that but you know the like once you're an adult, you're constrained by things like your job and, you know, if you have kids or a spouse or, like, whatever, a mortgage, like, all of these things that kind of box us in. Um, I suspect that as as an adult, little Pete would be, like, maybe living in a van down by the river just so that he doesn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard I to... guess the reason why I don't see it that way is because I think he his life always seems really grounded in the end mm. like you know he has these great parents he's really close with his brother like he goes on these like crazy like rebellious adventures and then like sometimes like learn some kind of lesson at the end like I see him I see him as like growing and changing even just in like the three episodes that we watched so to me that says there's more to him than just like some nightmare of a human it's possible (laughs) um all right let's get into the episode so we're gonna talk about these in chronological order I don't know if it matters or not um the show I don't I also I don't, I don't know, Kara, do you think it matters if you watch this show in chronological order? I think it does, and I just watched all of it within, like, a few week span, so, I and I did watch it all in chronological order. Like you just said, like, in these specific episodes that we're going to be talking about, Pete has these experiences and learns from them and kind of grows from them, um, and so that effect is kind of cumulative, and I think for we were talking about maybe the third season just isn't as good isn't as iconic or like whatever but i think it's just because like both he and his older brother are more like mature which like kind of makes it less fun um but also i think that there's like these are characters that are like really fully fleshed out and even characters that might be kind of one-dimensional like for instance somebody like Pitstain who is defined by his glandular disorder and that's what everyone knows him for and knows him as he's actually like a really robust character um and, and you see that kind of change over the arc of the second and third season um so if you watched an episode with Pitstain from like maybe the latter half of the third season before you watched an episode with Pitstain from early in the second season you like you would notice a huge difference and it wouldn't quite make any sense so I think just like the characters themselves have this development that happens over the course of the series and also uh, the relationships between the characters develop and, and build or whatever the opposite of that is uh, over time. So I think, you know, and also, I mean, this is a uh, just, you know, in real life, these characters, these actors, um, you know, this is an extremely formative time for people and uh, 
older people definitely went through puberty on the show, you know, <laughs> like, so I think that, you know, just the, the actors themselves are significantly different from between the first and the third season. And so, yeah, I think it does matter. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I don't think I've watched the whole third season since I was small. There was like a few that I skipped when I was watching this, but I did watch the last episode and there is this kind of like almost like sadness in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that episode one day. Um, but for today, uh, our first episode is an episode called Nightcrawlers. Which, um, great segue, in that episode that you were just talking about, the final episode is called Saturday. And uh, a character called Wayne the Pain acquires a pair of Krebstar sneakers called Nightwalkers. <laughs> which I really um, appreciated because it was like such a great callback to this episode from the first season. Yeah. Um, so in Nightcrawlers, um, little Pete is super upset that he has a bedtime. Um, and, you know, so he, so that's what he's rebelling against in this episode. Um, and he decides that he's not just going to stay up past his bedtime, but he's going to stay up long enough to break the world record, um, for how long a person has stayed up. Yeah, it, be- it started kind of as a bet between him and his mother where he was like, that's it, I'm not going to bed. And she was like, fine, just stay up forever, why don't you? Or like whatever she says. And Right, right. They did that great thing where they like zoomed in on her brain and it had all like the mom <laughs> sections. Like it was like, call his bluff, bribe him, get dad. It was like all of the mom choices that she could make when like he starts, you know, rebelling against her. Uh-huh. Um, and she goes with, what does she go with? Would you remember what they called it? I think it might be the call his bluff. I think it might be Because also. she's like challenging him like, oh yeah, right. you think you're so tough. Why don't you go ahead and stay up all night? Um, and he was like, all right. Which is, is just such a little peep moment of like, calling the bluff of a character like him is like, definitely a losing proposition every single time I right think. which his parents learn like over yeah. and over again um so he says yeah all right and so then she has to double she chooses to double call his bluff which was not a good choice <laughs> so he says he's gonna stay up for i think it's 11 days is that is it 11 days yeah something like that it's like yeah so he says he's gonna stay up for 11 days he gathers up his friends like this ragtag group from the neighborhood I love all of them. Um, and Artie. We'll talk about... I feel like we need to wait a second to talk about Artie because oh, yeah. there's a lot to say there. There's a lot there. Um, he gathers them up. They call themselves night crawlers. They're going to stay up for 11 days. Um, and they all have, like, a little trick for, like, how they keep themselves awake. Like, um, Kara, what does the Fig Newton girl call it? Fig Newly power. <laughs> so, yeah, the one girl, like, eats Fig Newtons. Because they have twice the amount of sugar of regular cookies, so she eats them to stay awake. One girl, Heather Matarazzo from Welcome to the Dollhouse. Um, Kara, did you watch that movie when you were younger? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, she was also in like... So uh, So You Think You're a Cheer... No, that's not the name of it. Oh! <laughs> uh, but I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah. So You Think You Can Cheerlead? <laughs> um, oh, I'd watch that. So Heather Matarazzo's thing is, like, she has her hair in braids, and they just pull her eyes open. (laughs) Um, There's a girl whose name I can't remember, but her thing is that she looks at the sun, and it makes her sneeze, and that's how she stays awake. 
Um, who am I missing? Oh, there's a bunch of them. I don't remember what the other ones have, though. Um, I think those are the best, like, stay awake superpowers. Yeah. Um, Artie's is that he, like, plays his Krebstar radio and dances around to funny music. So they try to stay awake for 11 days. Lots of them drop off along the way. Little Pete almost, he's the last one left. He almost doesn't make it to the end. Um, but in the end, his mom helps him out. His mom <laughs> helps him get to the 11 days. They um, they have a compromise where she's like, oh, but you're my little boy. I just don't want you to grow up. And he says, I have to look. I wrote it down because it was a really sweet line. Like, it's a really sweet exchange between them at the end. Yeah, it is. Um, I cried. I thought it was so nice. <laughs> um, she's, she said, oh, like, I just, I, I, you know, I want you to stay young forever or something like that. And he looks at her and he goes, it's not like I can help it. And it's just, it was so sweet. Um, and so then they have a compromise. She makes his bedtime later and helps him stay up and break the world record. Happy ending. Um, I chose this episode for us to watch. I think it's a really iconic one, but it was the one that I remembered the most because um, I just have this, like, memory of the girl, so the sneezing girl, um, when she starts to get really sleepy, she, they, they all start to lose their minds, um, you know, because sleep deprivation, um, and they're, like, seeing things, and they're doing weird stuff, so she wanders off into a neighbor's yard, and gets lost, and, like, can't get out of the neighbor's yard, and she's just, like, looking at the sky, waiting for the sun to come out, and the sun hasn't come out, and then she just, like, plops down on the ground, but the most, like, vivid memory I have of this show is of her looking up at the sky, trying to find the sun, and not being able to sneeze. Yeah, I agree, it's very, very iconic, um, I really connected with this episode as a kid because I hated going to bed and like to the extent that my parents just were like, fine, like just stay in your room. Like you can stay up as late as you want. Just stay in your room (laughs) and like, don't wake us up. And I was like, okay. So I like spent many nights just like doing weird things in my closet or whatever. (laughs) Um, and then also, like, as an adult, having worked uh, a job that required a lot of overnight shifts, like, I, w- I was just thinking so much about that and, like, that delirium that sets in at, like, 3.30, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, and to the thought of, like, doing it several days in a row without even being able to, like, take a nap in the middle is so horrifying, especially for those, like, tiny developing brains sleep is important oh yeah their brains must be broken um so i want to get into like a little bit of like the the structure of the show that we see in like i would say every episode um big pete narrates Mm -hmm. does he narrate every episode he does not not every episode i believe there's two or three episodes that he actually does not narrate which i think are all in the last the final season, but I might be wrong about that. Alright, so he does narrate this one. Um, he narrated all of the ones we watched, actually, and so like, it's this like extra lens I feel like that you see Little Pete through, which is the lens of his big brother mm-hmm. um, who is very much not like him. Right. Um, he's like pretty pretty laid back, like pretty smart, pretty like even. 
Um, he doesn't really have these like emotional outbursts that Pete has. And then because he's the older brother, um, he kind of like speaks with this wisdom. Like he's he's almost not a kid anymore, but mm-hmm. he's still a kid. But like because he's older, he like understands all these things and these rules about life that like little Pete doesn't understand yet. And um, I think that he sees things as like way more complicated than little Pete does and and he's very sensitive and is kind of like grappling with a lot um uh, that like I feel like he's kind of crested over that that period of time in your adolescence where you start to realize that like everything is a lie (laughs) you know what I mean like that like everything is not what you thought it was and like adults have been lying to you forever and you know but he has so much reverence for little pete for his little brother which i think uh kind of turns the traditional like big brother little brother dynamic on its head that he has so much respect for him yeah he really does and so much patience for him Mm -hmm. like he like over and over again like helps little pete like he he does blow him off a couple times in other episodes, but like, for the most part, he's like really there for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so so lot the episodes we watch are all narrated by Big Pete and about Little Pete, and the way that Big Pete narrates is with such drama, <laughs> such drama, like everything is about life and death except the way he's saying it it's flat like i don't know carrie i feel like you'd have better words for this than i do uh, well like i was saying that he is kind of like grappling with the weight of the world and whatever but it's but not, in a very like emotionless way i wouldn't say it's emotionless i think he's a teenage boy <laughs> and so you know like it's his emotions are not necessarily like right there. He can't necessarily reach out and touch them, but like right. he's he is feeling it. It just his delivery of it is more like he more like he's doing a dramatic reading than yeah telling a story. Yeah. Like he he like I agree with you. I do think he has a most emo, emotional depth. Um, but it is more like he, yeah, it's more like he's doing a dramatic reading of the events rather than like living them himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I said to you at some point when I started rewatching the show that I thought that maybe this entire series is just like an exploration of masculinity <laughs> because <laughs> all of the male characters. Or, like, the primary male characters in the series, Big Pete, Little Pete, and also their dad. And the, it was the episode um, where their their dad's dad is there with them as well that made me think about this. That, like, like Little Pete is this kind of pure id, and uh, Big Pete is more sensitive and questioning, but, like, dealing, trying to, like grapple with what's expected of him as a young man um and then his father doing all of this like performative masculinity and then his father kind of holding him to this like impossible standard of masculinity i think that there's a lot 
there that like I don't I can't necessarily like articulate but but it, it it's definitely kind of like an exploration of the weird societal expectations that we have for little boys and teenage boys and even grown-ass men yeah no I think you just did articulate it really well thanks yeah and yeah it is it is a show that is mostly about dudes I mean they have a lot of really good peripheral like female characters Mm -hmm. but it's they're it's not it's not about them right it's about all these dudes um there's like this is so hard because like there's so much that I want to say and it's all just like stray thoughts <laughs> like I don't know let's can we talk a little bit about like the the writing in this sure like there were so maybe we should wait till the end though like there were just there were so many phrases that I wrote down that oh, I was yeah. just like oh yeah like it's really quotable um Little Pete's, um, like, his insults are the best. Like, and I didn't write any any of them down, which I definitely should have. Um, But, like, I think one of them was, like, eat dirt, gut bucket. (laughs) And, you know, and they're all kind of, like, in that same vein. And they're so descriptive and good without ever... I, I mean maybe I missed it, but they're never, like, homophobic, they're never, you know, they're never really, like, about... They're never, like, making fun of, except for Pitstain. Right. Yeah, well, Pitstain, but... (laughs) And Hairnet and Nightbreeze. That whole crew, really. (laughs) Yeah. And Papercut, those are. Oh, yeah, Papercut. Oh, that's such a good character. Yeah, even, like, these villainous characters are just, like, so good and pure. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I'm going to read, just because I don't know where else to fit this stuff in, I'm going to read all the phrases that I really love from this episode that I wrote down. Sure. Um, they called, um, so, like, they very, even Big Pete, I feel like, very much sees adults as, like, kind of the, the enemy Although certainly not as much as Little Pete does, but, you know, they're like adults for the world. So they call it the international adult conspiracy that keeps (laughs) adults in control. Um, He calls it, he's like explaining the whole bedtime thing Big Pete is, and he says, adults grisly grip on power of the world. (laughs) Um, There's a great phone call between um, the Pete's dad and another parent where he's talking about how he switched out the whole milk for 2% milk. Like, he's plotting (laughs) against his kids to feed them 2% milk. Um, Let's see, what else? He he describes it as the bitter taste of being powerless. (laughs) So dramatic. They describe, <laughs> oh, Libby, Libby is the girl who sneezes. Um, mm. They describe her sneezing as blow the snooze right out of her. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, did I write down any fun things from this episode? <laughs> he says, the stakes had never been higher for Cranston Street or for the world. 
It's just so dramatic. And every time one of them falls asleep, it's like they're dying in a horror movie. Um, I thought mm-hmm. this actually used like a few horror movie tropes that I was like, ooh, in a different light, this like actually could be scary. Yeah. That's all I got for Nightcrawler. Carrie, you got anything else for Nightcrawlers? Um, no, I don't think so. All right. So the next episode we watched is called Grounded for Life. Um, this is the first episode of season two, so we've skipped ahead a season. Um, and like you were saying uh, during Nightcrawlers, that the scene where Libby is standing there staring at the sun and waiting to sneeze is like burned into your memory. There's a shot in this episode where uh, little Pete takes a statue, a a small statue of this. It's a paperweight. A small (laughs) paperweight of the Statue of Liberty and like shoves it up from underground and it like breaks through the grass and it like there's swell of music and it's like this just like freedom moment that is probably the most iconic moment to me in the show and like might be the source of my weird obsession with the statue of liberty yeah there's i i like feel like not like in all of these episodes there's this weird like history lesson in mm. all of them um in some way um this one is a fourth of july related episode um so there's a lot of like talking about statue of liberty uh whatever um so the premise of this episode is that uh little pete um wants to see what happens if you turn on a humidifier and a dehumidifier at the same time um he does it outside in their front lawn on his father's prized possession which is his grass um which is another example of their father's performative masculinity. Like, this is the way that he can kind of wave his dick around, for like, lack of a better term. And at term. the end of this episode, Little Pete totally recognizes that. He says, like, yeah. you know, Dad, like, some dads are good at sports and some are good at business and you just have your grass. <laughs> um but so little Pete makes an explosion on the grass. Um, he is not sorry for it. Um, there's like a great like short montage of his dad making him do a bunch of stuff to punish him. Like he has to um, spin around and be a human sprinkler. Um, well, I forget what else he has to do. Uh, there's, at one point, he has to, like, lay down on the grass, like, and I don't remember He has remember to plant it back one doing. seed at a time. Right. Yeah. Um. So he's just, like, laying down on his stomach, and his dad's like, you sorry yet? He's like, no, no way! <laughs> um, so he's never sorry, and so he gets grounded. Um, he gets grounded for one month, I believe. Um. Mm-hmm. Which... In kid time is basically That's a forever. long time, one month. It's a very um, long time. So it's nearing the 4th of July, and um, appropriately, Little Pete decides that he is going to dig for his freedom with the Statue of Liberty paperweight. Um, so He's going to tunnel his way out. He does four feet a day um, and does the math to, um, to decide that he will break out on the 4th of July. When his family is away at the fireworks. Um, And and Big Pete is, like, in cahoots with him and is, like, helping him do this by 
trying to get rid of all the dirt that little Pete is displacing while uh, digging this tunnel. So he's like trying to hide it in all of these weird places, one of which is like the coffee grounds. So his dad like makes coffee and then takes a sip and spits it out. That's another really like iconic moment for he, me. It's like he, big Pete trying to find a place for all of I, this That dirt. was one of my favorite parts of the episode. And like, I feel like it was really glazed over. Like there was just like one scene where big Pete was like trying to get rid of all the dirt in lots of different ways. And what, the one that made me laugh out loud was that he started doing pottery with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and I thought they really just glazed over that, and it really it could have been more. It could yeah. have been more. It was a good joke. Also, you can't do pottery with just dirt and water. Yeah. Like, it's more complicated. Old stickler that, for but... facts, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, this episode is the first appearance of Nona F. Mecklenburg. Um, and her dog and her Nimbus, dog Nimbus. Which, Nimbus is Latin for rain-bearing, which uh, is significant, bearing in mind uh, Nimbus has this bladder problem right, he where he can't pee. Well, he, it's because they just moved to town and he misses their old house so much that he, like, refuses to go to the yeah. bathroom. And, and Nona guy. misses their house a lot, too, and so she's just, like, walking around town, like talking to adults basically is how I would describe it she's like bothering adults on their front lawn and like I think she's so fun because it's so clear right away that like she's gonna be such a good match like to be little Pete's friend because Mm -hmm. she's just like a little pisser like she just talks and talks and talks and says a bunch of shit um yeah and she's like also kind of a tiny adult I feel like um so while she's walking around town she ends up um finding how does she find little pete does she hear him yeah i think so um um because she's trying to because she's talking to nimbus i think and then he says something back and then she's like wait is the grass talking and then she realizes that the noise is coming from the sprinkler right so she looks down into the grass and sees little pete down there and boom they're friends um and so little Pete digs and digs and digs and digs for a long time. He has dynamite, which I thought was I wrote, where did he get the dynamite? He's like blowing up things. But on it, the I mean, which is totally on brand for little Pete. Like it's, it's not at all surprising to me that Pete would have a source for dynamite or like already have it in his possession. Like he's exactly the kind of kid that would like try and blow up the toilet at school or something. But he also like which is a thing that happened at my someone school. Someone blew up the toilet at your school? With what? Yeah. A cherry what? bomb? <laughs> yeah. Um so he Oh, I forgot what I was gonna say. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. No, I started well, thinking think about, about what that, that would be like. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, you were talking about it. I dynamite. remember. Um, like, it, I feel like like saying that a little kid um, blew up underneath his house with dynamite sounds like, like, it could, it could be really cartoony if they had a budget, but they didn't. So, mm-hmm. like, all they did was, like, be like, oh, and he had dynamite, and, like, then they, like, shook the camera around, <laughs> um, which made it, like... I don't know, there's something about how you don't, it's not like you saw an explosion, they didn't, like, they, they a little bit just, like, glaze over that, too, um, which makes this feel less 
like less kid like in a way to me i don't know does that make any sense mm-hmm. yeah um but as he's like tunneling out um that you begin to be able to actually see the silhouette of the tunnel through the grass because all of the grass above him is starting to die so um nona as an ally starts uh spray painting the grass green and also uh pete's dad like comes across her talking to little pete underground and then she tells him that like oh i'm just talking to your grass and trying to make it grow and then he starts doing it because he believes her but Mm -hmm. also it works yeah and i don't think we mentioned that he's actually in a competition with their neighbor to like see whose grass is the nicest and like whoever loses the bet has to water the other one's grass for a really long time so his neighbor is actually like surveilling uh the wrigley's grass and like property and has like weird little cameras and microphones all around um so he like overhears her saying this and he starts and he thinks she's being serious so he starts talking to his grass as well yeah and oh i for we we kind of glazed over artie in the last episode and i didn't mean to um well we could talk about artie right. later um because it, it's like a whole that's a whole. All right, so Artie, the strongest man in the world, is like P's best friend. He bring one when he actually is an he, adult. He's a grown up man. <laughs> um, he brings while Pete is grounded, he brings him an ant farm, and that's actually what gives Pete, little Pete, the idea to tunnel out. But so it's like Pete's he's talking to these ants the whole time too. There's like a point where he gives up and he's like, "Bob, oh, why do you guys even try? Like, you know, you're not gonna get anywhere." It's sad. Um, yeah. I also noticed in this one, like, you were talking about how he dresses before. Um, his mm-hmm. shirts are always, like, gigantic. And, like, like, like he's wearing, like, adult shirts. Like, sleeves past his hands. Um, and, really? yeah, not always, but enough that it's noticeable. Um, And I forget why I think this. I think it might be from one of the shorts, but when he got the Petunia tattoo, um, it was as a gift to his mom, but it makes her faint when she sees it. Um, I I think I might be making that up. But so, like, it's something about covering his tattoo, why he has to wear these big shirts all the time so he can cover up his arm. Oh, interesting. I just thought it was because it was the 90s and, like, everyone... No, but his shirts are, like, ridiculously big. Um, alright, anything else about, uh, Grounded for Life before we go on to Sick Day? Well, at the end of the episode, like, his family goes out for the fireworks and then his dad starts, like thinking like looking around and like seeing all the things that Pete would enjoy so much and he starts feeling really guilty and so he decides to turn around and come home because if he goes home now he can get Pete and come back before the fireworks start and like just as he's rolling up to the house Pete is like making his break of freedom breaking through the grass and it's just it's such a good it's just a it really good. good episode. Oh, and Nona, like I, they do, I, they do such a good job at like starting to make Nona, like not just some girl character. Like she really has mm-hmm. 
like a character from the very beginning so like she really misses her where she just moved from and so she's standing outside her house gluing pictures of her old house onto her new house like pictures of the bricks. yeah and she just carries them around it's like she's i like her a lot yeah um okay sick day so in sick day little pete decides to fake sick for a day um he they're like i love how they're they talk about like there's that period of school where there's like no breaks and you're just like in school forever (laughs) there's no days off and no vacations or anything and like that between new year's and president's day yeah and that feels like which like actually is not that long no but like i know what they mean and it's like it's in winter so it always just like it's real that feeling of like uh, <laughs> we were just like trying to get to the end um, so he decides he needs to give himself a day off he fakes sick um, using something that him and Big Pete call Operation Tapioca um, where a store clerk smuggles him an expired tapioca label and then they plant the can in the trash for his mom to find it and convince her that he has food poisoning and I think the store clerk, hang on. Oh, is she somebody? Is, I think There's she's There's a somebody. lot of cameos in this episode. So many cameos. And, like, Could all we, of the they're episodes. Like, they're, they weren't even cameos then. Like, these people weren't even famous yet. Uh, maybe they were. Uh, no, that's not true. I mean, Iggy Pop is right, known Iggy as Pop. dad. Was LL Cool J famous yet? Spoiler, LL Cool J Definitely. is his teacher. All right, maybe they were all a little <laughs> yeah. famous. Never mind. Uh, uh, in the episode where uh, 35 Hours, I think it's called, where Big Pete and Little Pete are trusted with the house for the weekend when their parents go away, and Little Pete sells the house to get back at Big Pete for blowing him off, uh, Patty Hearst like, plays the mother of the family that buys the house, which is really That's weird. That's crazy. I didn't know that one until you told me yesterday. Yeah. Oh, Sick Day is actually from season two. It's, it's from the it's end of season, season three. Two. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, no, that's no one. Okay, cool. The grocery clerk is no one. <laughs> um, so, uh, Little Pete breaks the one cardinal rule of faking sick, which is that he goes out of his house. <laughs> um, he goes outside. He is, he is tempted by the... Um, Hold on, I have to look up what it's called. It's another Kreb product. Uh, yeah, and in uh, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, Kreb Star is, like, the stand-in corporation name, like Acme is in... Yeah, there's like, a lot of, like, the Kreb Scouts and... Um, oh, it's, it's not a Kreb product. It's the Excalibur 2000, which is the most mm-hmm. powerful garage door opener known to man. Um... And has a great theme song in the episode. Um, so, oh, but before any of that, he gets Dwight D. Eisenhower stuck up his nose. I forgot that part. Um, <laughs> uh, he has a he a cereal that he eats that has the marshmallow heads of all of the presidents. <laughs> and uh, he stuck every single one of them up his nose except for Martin Van Buren. <laughs> He's no, it's Dwight D. Eisenhower. Martin Van Buren saves him later. Oh, okay. So he's stuck every 
president up his nose, except Dwight D. Dwight D. Eisenhower. He finds Eisenhower at like the bottom of his bowl of cereal. He gets like super excited, sticks him right up his nose. Um, he goes to remove it, and he cannot. So he spends the entire episode with um, an Eisenhower stuck up his nose. Uh, <laughs> so so, and then he, you know, garage door opener. He goes out. And, like, it's stressed several times that he's breaking the one cardinal rule. Like, it's in the narration by Big Pete. He then runs into an adult who says, Pete, you're breaking the one cardinal rule of faking sick. You are out of the house. Um, so anyway, so he for, he runs into several adults who will later help him in the episode. Um, the first is um, the meter man, Chris Elliott. Um, I don't know what his real name is in the episode, but played by Chris Elliott. Um, I think he's just, he's listed on IMDb. Just the meter man. He doesn't have a name. Oh, wait. Meter man Ray. All right. So meter man Ray comes over to read the meter. um, And he can, he doesn't just read the meter. He can also see the future through the meter. Um, He sees two things, I I think. He sees um, what appears to be a nuclear bomb. Um... And then he sees um, our eighth president, Martin Van Buren. Um, he, and he tells little Pete about it, advises him not to leave the house. Little Pete leaves the house anyway. Um, so little Pete's walking around town with the garage door opener, and he runs into the mail lady, who I love so much, um, played by B.B. Newworth. Um, yeah, she's one of the best, I, I think, one of the best characters in the show. Um yeah, and she, so she's narrating her life. She's got a tape recorder, and she's narrating her life for her autobiography, which will be titled, oh, man, I wrote it down. Where is it? Stand and Deliver, it will be called. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, but I love, like, every time he runs into an adult in this episode besides his parents, they they don't scold him. He's like, hey, I'm faking mm-hmm. sick. And they're like, all right, what are you up to? Uh, <laughs> Why are you outside? You broke the rule. Um, yeah, they're like they're worried about him. They're worried about him getting caught. So, um, and each time he meets with one of them, they actually kind of vow to protect him um, should he need it later, which he does. Um, so, oh man, BB Newworth said the best thing into her tape recorder. So she's walking and she finds one glove and she picks it up and she says, "Somewhere a child walks with one cold hand." I will do what I can. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so... It's better than that what? sounds. <laughs> it's yeah, better than that sounds. You her delivery's better because she's an actress and I'm not. Um, yeah. So, anyway. Uh, there's there's a lot of go- drama going on in this episode, too. Big Pete describes like him leaving the house as the biggest risk in the world. Um <laughs> Because, you know, kid world. Um, so, Pete, Little Pete finds himself back at school, which was, like, the whole thing he was trying to avoid to begin with, but he kind of just, like, wants to see what his, what his friends are up to. Um, and I love that Clem, his friend, has grown a beard while they were away. <laughs> um... LL Cool J is like all his teacher is all like dressed up in Hawaiian gear because it's like a big party when Little Pete isn't there. Um, oh my god! Oh my god! Okay. Hang on, what? hold up, okay. hold up. 
uh, Clem is the uh, he was in Clem heavyweights. Clem is in heavyweights, yeah. And the Mighty yeah, Ducks. He's that kid, and he's also super good so looking now. Things. Yeah, that's why I was like, whoa. Yeah, what? he like does not look like the pudgy little kid that he looked like. Yeah. Wow. Not bad. Um, Sorry. So while little V goes back to school, he's looking through the window and he sees um, his the kid who sits behind him, who he didn't consider a friend. But he starts to like really look at this kid and like think about who he is, and he chooses. Oh God, what do they call it? He chooses fluoride. No, it's not fluoride. It's oh God, what do they call it? He's chewing candy that his dentist gave him. To like, which like you chew it and then it makes your mouth all red and so it like highlights the. So they do like several. Is that stuff real? Like, does that stuff actually exist? Probably, but I've never had it. Plaque candy. They call it plaque candy in the show. But they keep doing these like gross close-ups of his mouth, um, filled with the plaque candy. (laughs) But um, so this is where little Pete starts to learn his lesson because he's he kind of like sees the world without himself in it kind of um and it makes him really consider who this kid who sits behind him is um and he he then goes to the kid's house um and makes a new friend by the end of the episode um and the kid actually is like really wise and helps him get Dwight D. Eisenhower out of his nose and it has something to do with Martin Van Buren, but not gonna lie, I got I get super confused about what it has to do. Was it because he had Martin Van Buren stuck up his nose, and he used the static to get it out? Yeah, he had the solution, which was to rub your feet on the carpet a bunch of times and then touch a jo- doorknob, and the electric shock will make it shoot out of your. Yeah, nose. so that's how he gets it out. Oh, and he also when when Pete is at the school, he also runs into Stu, the bus driver, who's a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, yeah. Stu? Oh, I don't remember him being. Oh yeah, no, Stu. <laughs> Stu actually sees him like glancing into the window and starts making an announcement over the bus intercom. And then Pete's like, "Yo, you gotta stop it! Like, I'm faking sick. Like, they can't know I'm here." And Stu's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." yeah. So Stu is actually the one who drives him to um, Glenn Wordle's house. Um. And so then, so then mom's coming home at the end of the episode and all three of the adults who he's run into during the day, like, do this, like, calls out to the wild that, like, alert him that his mom is coming home, um, so he can get home before her. Um, which I think is really sweet that they all, like, come together to protect him. I don't know. Kara, anything else about this ep? Before we break into like some of the larger themes, I feel like that come up. I don't think so. Um, we haven't talked about the plate in Mom's head. Yeah, uh, <laughs> my friend Charlie has a plate. In Wait, his so head. that's real? Um, Why do people have plates in their head? I was thinking about it today. Yeah, well, generally, if um, you know they've had to like cut into your right. skull for any reason, like makes um, because your skull can't like grow oh, back. Basically, that makes sense. okay. Uh, they'll cover it up with a plate, or sometimes it's a patch. I don't know, but I I was curious, like if he had ever seen the show and like what he might think about uh, 
the plate in Pete's mom's head, but he wasn't born yet because he's my young friend. So I was like, oh, thank you. I That was both unhelpful and made me feel old. <laughs> um, so, yeah, at the end of the episode, he uses the garage door opener. Uh, he, he has forgotten to close the garage, so he beams the signal off of the plate in mom's head while she's driving home to close the garage. They use the plate in her head a lot for a lot of stuff that I'm sure you couldn't really use a plate in your head for, but it works. It serves the show really well. Um, it does. But she has this like weird quirky thing that they exploit all the time. Um, so do you want to talk about Artie? Sure. Um, so Artie, the strongest man in the world, is little pete's best friend he he's the only one that has a moniker like that which is interesting because i feel like Stu, the bus driver should be like Stu, the emotionally unstable bus driver (laughs) yeah because he has some issues but anyway um no i mean so he's this like (laughs) little pete sees him as like a superhero but he doesn't like he doesn't have powers or anything he just like is a weird guy who like lives in town and the adults all like don't like him but the kids all love him and he like dances around funny and like i would say that he's like the only he seems almost like an imaginary friend except he's real like he's like the only maybe not the only character but one of the only characters on this show who like just isn't based in reality like at all there's nothing real about him because if there were, he would be really creepy. That is definitely true. You want to know? Well, you said you haven't watched uh, *Halt and Catch Fire* on AMC, no. right? Well, it is a show that's basically like *Mad Men*, but about the personal computer industry in Texas in the late '80s and early '90s, or like early '80s actually. Um, and Toby Huss, who plays Artie, the strongest man in the world, is on that show where he plays this, like, grizzled, old, older, um, computer salesman who, uh, I I did not realize they were the same person. Like, (laughs) the range that this man has is unbelievable because when I was first like IMD being Pete and Pete and I was like Toby Huss why do I know that name and I clicked on his IMDB profile and was like oh my god holy shit it's crazy well I'm happy for him that he's still he's working like, I feel like a lot of people character. in this like this was the only thing they were ever in mm, yeah I mean that's true of like a lot of people but also there's plenty of people who like went on to do things oh yeah yeah for sure um so what like i want to talk about why this show wait wait, before i do that before i take us somewhere else do we have anything else to say about Artie? like i feel like they wrote Artie off the show so they wrote Artie off the show in season two is that right yeah and like in a two-part episode there Farewell, my little Viking. I feel like they had to do it because he was, like, weird and creepy a little bit. Like, his time had passed. That, and also, I think it's, you know, little Pete was getting to that age where, like, having an 
a imaginary friend is like goes from like cute to also creepy and weird you know what i mean like if he was really an imaginary friend that would be around the age where he would kind of go by the wayside yeah i think yeah it was definitely it's it's well timed to lose Artie there um but so what i want to talk about is like why like why this show resonated with us so much like there were there were so many shows after this like live action nickelodeon shows but i can't think of any that i have like such an emotional attachment to the way that i do to this show yeah same and again back to new jersey i wonder if it's the new jersey definitely that's but but i don't think we're the only ones like they do pete and pete reunions yeah. like like yeah like they they still have a podcast together like there's still an audience for this in us um, yeah for sure i i yeah, I think, like, we've talked a lot on this show about, like, our senses of humor, um, and mm-hmm. I think there are parts of this and the weirdness of this show that really play to that, um, in, yeah, in a sure. way that's respectful to us. Like, the same way they treat Little Pete respectfully, I think they treat us pretty respectfully as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's not... It's not, like, over the top. It's not too silly. It's just weird. Like, if it was just, like, a bunch of, like, smart adults who were, like, let's make this weird thing. Yeah. Which, you know, we talked about that with Ren and Stimpy. That was very much the kind of, uh, what's that French word that I can never pronounce? Raison d'etre of uh, Nickelodeon at that time. And has, like, a very kind of similar gross-out aesthetic without being but also i think because it is a live action show um a a low budget live action show that there are certain constraints that keep it from going like too far off the deep end um which makes it that much more grounded in reality and therefore more emotionally real yeah and it was in that same time period like where nickelodeon didn't have did they have any original programming? I should have looked. Um, well, this would be among the yeah. first. Yeah, and for so sure. like there were no, not that there weren't any rules, but like there were kind of no rules yet. <laughs> um, yeah. Like no one was really telling them what they could and couldn't do because there wasn't a standard set for what this is. Like this was the first one, mm-hmm. and it's the best one. Um, I like I think of it like like I was trying to think if there was like a live action show that I was like oh yeah like that that came after Pete and Pete and was clearly influenced by it and I really couldn't think of one like I thought more of shows like um like Recess the cartoon and like Hey mm-hmm. Arnold which is obviously also a cartoon um had the same kind of like heart and the same kind of like character building I felt like uh, and that same kind of, like, realness of being a kid with, like, the kid rules and the drama and the, like, everything is everything is life or death. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like, saw those shows as being more similar to Pete and Pete than anything else. Yeah. I still want to see, like, I still want somebody 
who's not seen this before to sit down and watch it with me and they want to understand if it's good or if I you know just have this lens that I can never get out of mm. it could go either way yeah. really I think it is really good though I think so too um and I think like as hopefully I, we're, we're gonna do this again I think I think we don't totally know what like what lens we might use next time we've talked about using like Big Pete as a lens like let's watch Big Pete episodes we've talked about like maybe we just do something that's about peripheral characters where we explore all of those I think that would be really fun um mm -hmm. I don't know there's there's a bunch of stuff talking here. about all the different shooting locations yeah we can just talk about New Jersey for like a while um in the very first episode actually that's the one where they go on a family road trip to the Hoover Dam and the Hoover Dam like throughout the series the Pete's dad are is obsessed with um but uh, the shots where they're driving in the car were actually filmed on the section of 287 between Montville and uh, and Mawa, oh. which hadn't yet been opened. Oh wow! But like, that's that's the section of 287 where I grew up. So, and like, that's every time and I that's like that my episode, drive. Like, I know that's that my is. drive from home to college. Like, because that's where yeah. Kara and I went to college. Is up there, Ramapo College in Mawa. That's so funny. That's that's my drive. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's that one of the specials. Um, what we did on our summer vacation, where uh, Ellen, which is Big Pete's girl, who is a friend but not girlfriend, um, she, she has this job at like this little photo hut, uh, in a parking lot. And it seems like it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's actually the photo hut that is in the parking lot of the Willowbrook Mall in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, so that's another one. And Ellen is an interesting character. Um, I I feel like she like was constantly working. Like every episode that she's in, she's like has like a another weird different job. But that's kind of a side. Well, tangent. yeah. I mean, I feel like w w if if we do Big Pete episodes, we'll talk about Ellen a lot more. Um, but oh, she's sure. very like type A, like really like driven, like super perfectionist. Like, so I feel like she would do that. She would have like a hundred jobs. Yeah. Well, we got anything else to say about Pete and Pete? Hmm. Oh, this, the sound design is really intense, especially during season two. Like, it just, there's a lot of, like, really dramatic music, but then also the use of, like, a lot of almost cartoony sound effects. <laughs> I didn't notice. Can not you think cartoony. of one? Well, there's uh, season two, episode three, an episode called The Call, which... On the hottest day of the summer, little Pete decides to answer an infamous payphone that has been ringing for 27 <laughs> years. Well, like the, on so many levels, this specific, like the premise of this episode, doesn't work at all anymore because, like, a answering machines and call waiting, and b a <laughs> uh, 
pay phones. But anyway, uh, Big Pete decides to figure out who the call is for. And so part of Pete's monologue at the very beginning of the episode is, it was one of those days when all of your summer dreams are burned out of your memory, like butt flesh on a superheated backseat. In some towns, they blame the heat and the humidity. But here in Wellsville, we factor in the mind-shattering sound of the ringing phone. And so that episode in particular is like very auditory in nature you have the ringing phone but then also it sounds like sick like they used a track of really loud cicadas <laughs> like through most of the episode summer? too no i just think that, that that like buzzing noise kind of can make you feel insane you know yeah. what I mean? So, like, because they don't actually acknowledge that sound. Like, they acknowledge a bunch of other, like, sizzling sounds and, like, whatever. But they never mention, like, and the sound of cicadas. Um, so I think they were just, like, using that noise as, like, a, a way to just make you feel insane. And, like, give the episode kind of this, like, tangible... Um, feeling and i was trying to figure out if it was shot the same year as the um the like 17 year cicada mm -hmm. uh thing but it wasn't that was a different year um which happened again recently in like 2013 and was cool because cicadas are cool i remember that when the cicadas came when i was small probably yeah, when this I think show that was, was like on. 1997 <laughs> Uh, no, I think it was 97. Um, I, I spent a lot of time looking at this. <laughs> I love how you're like, oh, I didn't take that many notes on these episodes, but you're like... <laughs> but I did spend at least an hour and a half trying to figure out if that year was a cicada invasion or not. Oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> Again, stickler I know, this is details. why I turned to you for, like, real information, and I'm just like, blah, 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 and I'm like, Kara, is this real? <laughs> Um, we, speaking of, like, sound, we didn't talk about the theme song, um, oh, which yeah. is, like, I feel like if you watch this show, the theme song is, like, one of the most iconic things, because it's a great song, has nothing to do it's with the show, nope. <laughs> um, and the lyrics are actually, like, in my opinion, like, quite adult and weird, um, yeah. but great song, the... Uh, Polaris is the band that sings the song. Um, Which was a band that was, like, put together specifically right. for the show. They weren't actually, like, a real band. You can hear, actually, on uh, WTF with Mark Marin, Mark J. Mulcahy, I think is his name, was on oh, recently. Cool. And they actually talked about that, like, how that all happened, which was interesting. Um, they appear in one more episode. Like, Pete, little Pete gets, like, obsessed with one of their songs. Well, because he hears it, like, he hears part of it on the radio, and then he's, like, wandering around trying to figure out who the song is by and what the song is, and then he starts his own band. Called the, the Blow... Like, what's it called? The, the Blowholes? <laughs> this is a great name. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We'll get into all that <laughs> one day. <laughs> we'll watch all these episodes one day. This is a Pete and Pete episode. Or, oh, I just ruined that. <laughs> we can, we can edit. edit. You can make it this again. Is, 
I'm I'm going to. This is a Pete and Pete podcast now. I hope you guys are okay with yeah, that. We can have guests on, I guess, or whatever. But I'll Pete and Pete all the time. I if we did that, it would be my number one goal to get um, Michael and Danny on. Oh, which is I I think is actually totally doable, given that a they already have a podcast, which is. Like, there's a a surprising barrier to getting people on podcasts is that they don't know what podcasts are. Oh, really? (laughs) Or, like, they don't, yeah, like, they don't really have an understanding of, like, what they are and how they're made and, like, how easy it can be to just, like, record one. Um, So I feel like anyone who already has a podcast is, like, six times more likely to be a guest on your podcast um but also because of like the weird northern new jersey everyone is one degree away from danny tamborelli thing like i feel like we could definitely make it happen if if we wanted to try like it would like i just i wouldn't even know what to say because i i would hate to have like a fun opportunity to talk to somebody and then like waste the opportunity asking them a bunch of stuff that people have asked right. them before. Like, like, I don't need to do that. I'm not special. Remember that episode where, and remember that episode where they did the thing and the, yeah, that was great. Yeah, so I feel like it would be so fun, but like, what would I even say? Like, what could we even add to the, yeah. this universe, you know? Especially because they do reunions and I don't know, the EV clubs talked about it a lot what you have to think about like what what new what new something can we bring to this well i have to dig into the uh av club archive oh you should see yeah see if we can come up with a new angle yeah <laughs> which i mean i think the masculinity thing might be I, the key that's yes i really i do like that a lot and like do you think like because i feel like that's a topic it's like it's a hot topic these days um yeah like yeah. what and you could like teach an entire gender studies class about this like, show what would this show look like today like would this show this show wouldn't get made like this no like nope. really, uh, i don't know what would it look like today there's no way um i mean it would probably have to be some sort of like netflix or amazon original content because it's you know? weird because it's weird yeah. as hell and like also it's like a really like the the pitch for this show I feel like would not get a lot of biters so it's a show about two brothers and they're both named Pete <laughs> and one is little and one is big and they just you know they have wacky adventures and stuff like that it's true know. I was trying to explain it to my coworker the other day who's like she's older than me she's probably like in her mid 40s um so like she's never seen this she doesn't have kids who would have seen this so i was trying to explain it to her and all she could she like couldn't get over that they were both named pete and i was like no but that's not uh, whatever that's like the least weird part about the show you don't get it <laughs> yeah it was certainly a moment in time and also i feel like you well, maybe you could get the cameos that you did in this. Like, it, there's just so many weird cam. Maybe the Wikipedia article has a whole list. I feel like see. we should do an episode that's like all about cameos and peripheral characters 
and the amazing names that they give people. I started to write down everybody's yeah. names, but I just I could. It was too many. Yeah, they really name fair. people really well. Endless Mike, Wayne the Pain, Endless Mike. There's something about that that's like, I just think that's the best name in the whole world. It is like especially for a bully. Endless Mike. That could mean anything. It could mean so many things. Yeah. Okay. So, there definitely is a whole list on the. Wikipedia oh look, guest stars. Article. You're right. There is. Wow. There's mm-hmm. so many. So many. So many. All right. I do think that wraps this up for this time. But we barely scratched the oh, surface. We barely scratched the surface of beaten people. Um. I guess I need okay. to Okay. Remember how I said before that the grocery store clerk that um, slips little or slips one of the pizza, the counterfeit label with the fake expiration yes. date? I said that she was you nobody. Lied. I was wrong. Her name is Sarah Shannon. She is a female vocalist best known for her work in the band Velocity Girl, which doesn't really clear anything up. But she does but have she a Wikipedia page. <laughs> And she does have a Wikipedia page. Yep. Oh my god, Alicia Keys was a student in one of the episodes. Wow. Michael Stipe, J.K. Simmons, Larissa Olenek, before she was Alex Mack. Mm hmm. I just, in one of the last episodes of season three, Selma Blair plays a fellow student. Extremely young Selma Blair. But, like, so many good... Oh, Janine Garofalo plays one of the teachers. But so many good, like, music people, like Debbie Harry, uh, LL Cool J, like you said, Luscious Jackson, which is a band, not a person. Yeah, just... Good stuff. Good stuff all I around. I feel like if like all if there was like a show that had all these cameos on it today. I mean, they do. I guess they do do that on kids shows today, but it's on cartoons and people just do the voices. There's no like live action show. Right. Like, I feel like it would all be with like a wink. Like this, but these cameos don't feel like they're like with a wink. Like it's just like people playing silly characters, you know? Yeah. They're not like, oh, isn't and it, it so also cool? it's like, who is, yeah, like, who is this for? Like, the kids are not going to know who Iggy Pop is, you know? Well, I get, I think, it, I think the adults who made this were smart enough to make it, not for adults, but a, maybe a little bit for themselves. Yeah. I want to know how famous L.O. Cool J was when he was on this. He was like really yeah, no, famous. He's like really like... famous. Like his biggest album was in 1987. Yeah. Oh, and this yeah. was, and he was like on his way down. <laughs> he oh and oh this was like uh, he was in toys around this time. That's a weird movie. Oh, and then he made Hey Lover, and that's when he entered my life because that song was huge. <laughs> okay, outro time. Well, that does it for this episode of Wistful Thinking. 
You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and cageclub.me, and find us on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter at WistfulPod. See ya! Bye! I love that you always wait a beat and then you say bye. <laughs> I think it's more that like I just forget <laughs> to say something and then I'm like, oh, I should say bye too. I really like it and I always I like it. <laughs> I couldn't sit down. One look at her and I stumble around. One look at her, I get irrational. She ties my tongue I saw her downtown On a cloudy day When she brought the sun She's not a part of the scene She don't socialize She does her own thing She's ahead of her time Just the right speed She is staggering Stand up, I couldn't sit down. One look at her and I stumble around. She is staggering. She is staggering. Man, I 